there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Luke 9, 22 through 24, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Our bodies and their history make us sons of man. This is something that we have to understand, first intellectually, at a DNA level, at a cellular level, at a molecular level, our physical organisms, these animal bodies into which we are born. It's our ancestral history, the history of this species that we now have inhabited. Even though we don't know it, we think we are the species. We think we are these animals that our bodies are. We are so identified with that, that's what we think we are. But the truth is, is that we are in that. We are using that as a vehicle if we can become conscious. If we can't become conscious, then we're not using it as a vehicle. We're being used. We're being used by life to serve life's purposes. And this animal will be used as life sees fit with absolutely no concern and no respect for the animal. Your life will feed you but it will also kill you and use you for food. That's the way it works in life. That's the way life has it worked out. If you come to the place where you can see the possibility, if you can see the rope hanging just above, most animals don't look up. But if you can, then you get a glimpse of this rope hanging above you, and you realize that that rope is your way out, that you can pull yourself up out of this animal body. Of course, I'm speaking figuratively here. You don't actually pull yourself out of the body. But what happens is you pull yourself out of its gravitational pull. You pull yourself out of its influence. Not all at once, clearly, but little by little. And it takes a long time. It's not easy, but it can be done. And as you begin to separate yourself from the influence of the body, the animal, you are separating yourself from the influence of nature, life. And as you insulate yourself, you become a new being. You start to transform into something else. You're not going to be a caterpillar. (laughs) You're not going to be a butterfly either. The truth is you don't know what you're going to be. You just don't know at this point. Any more than the caterpillar knows what it's going to be, it doesn't really know it's going to be anything. It just goes into the cocoon and it does it out of instinct. And when it emerges, does it know that it was ever a caterpillar? Well, we don't know that. But we know that when we emerge, we do know that we were once something else because we bring with us all that we were. Because that is the nature of consciousness, not to put things that are unwanted, that are less in the dark, but to include them in the light, include them in what we are. So you remain an animal, but you are no longer controlled by the animal. You're no longer directed by the animal, meaning directed by life. The animal is directed by life, which the work says, well, we're machines and we are serving life's purpose. So our bodies having their own history make us sons of man. And we must suffer many things, whether we choose a higher path or go with the natural flow of life. It really doesn't matter if you have the good fortune to catch a glimpse of the rope and you choose to jump up and grab it and try and pull yourself out. If you choose to do that, you're going to suffer many things. If you don't, if you just stay in life as an animal, 
you're going to suffer many things. We have no choice about that. We're going to suffer many things. The Son of Man is going to suffer many things, period. Whether we choose a higher path or go with the natural flow of life, because everyone suffers. The question for us becomes, will it be useful or useless suffering? And what is useful and what is useless? Well, useful is something that we can use to attain a better position. Useless is something that we can't use to attain a better position. We can't improve our condition with useless, unnecessary suffering. But with useful suffering, we can improve our position, improve our condition. We can somehow use it to our advantage in the transformation process. So that's really the question. You're going to suffer. There's no question about that. Now, this takes years to accept, honestly. At a cellular level, we already know it. At a cellular level, you know you're going to suffer because at a cellular level, our species has suffered for a long time, however long the species has been around. And before that, whatever it was, it suffered. And before that, it suffered. And before that, it suffered because that's what life is, a pain factory. Now, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, I think this is very interesting. They represent a powerful triad. Elders, chief priests, and scribes. The Son of Man has to be killed. What that means is to be made passive. Son of Man has to be made passive. This physical thing that connects us to life, to the machinery, needs to be made passive so that it can no longer drag us around as life dictates. And third, he's going to be killed, so be made passive, but he's going to be raised up on the third day. I don't think I really need to go into the third thing esoterically sacred numbers. They call them sacred numbers because they have so much meaning. They are key to the way the universe works and they are to remind us of how the universe works. They're devices that you can use to remember yourself. Numbers no longer have that sacred meaning. As we are, we're at the second level of consciousness, which the work calls waking sleep. And this state of consciousness that the world is in is the state of consciousness in which people hate and kill each other with self-justified impunity. We justify all of our murder, we justify all of our hatred, and we do it with impunity. We think that because we can justify it, there will be no day of reckoning. And so that's how we go on killing and hating, thinking that there will be no day of reckoning because we are justified in hating and killing. This is an indication of the second level of consciousness, waking sleep. The unfortunate thing is, we suffer in accordance with this state. So you're suffering in your life right now. You are suffering. Whether you are aware of your particular suffering or not, you are suffering. You will become aware of it at some point. And when you do, you will kick against the goads and, of course, increase your suffering and you'll resist and thrash and you'll increase your suffering because that is part of the second level of consciousness, which is waking sleep. And this is what we do in this. And there's nothing else to be done in this. To escape this state, you can't thrash about in it to escape it. You can't pretend it doesn't exist to escape it. You can't blame someone else to escape it. To escape this state, we must reach the third level because the second level only moves like a pendulum. Love, hate, war, peace, abundance, scarcity, wealth, poverty, and that's the way that is. There's no escape in that. There's only escape from that into the third level of consciousness. In order for this to happen, we must undergo an increase in consciousness to reach the third level of consciousness. When people hear this, they rejoice and want to know where to sign up, unaware of the cross of esotericism. It always looks good in the advertisements. 
It always looks good in the pictures, the magazine ads. It always looks good. It always looks good when some guy standing up there in a suit and well-shaved and groomed and eloquent stands up and tells you about it. It always looks good. I'll make you fishers of men. You throw the net, you haul them in. But then when you get the net up there, you find all these squirming, flopping fishes. And most of them find their way back into the sea. There's a second level of consciousness. And a lot of them that don't just die there on the beach. And some actually make it into the third level of consciousness, the minority. So the Son of Man must suffer many things. And now you understand that that means that because we have these animal bodies, we must suffer many things. And we're going to suffer either uselessly and necessarily or uselessly and unnecessarily. One will lead us into the third state of consciousness, and the other one is just simply our suffering in accordance with the second level of consciousness. There's nothing to be done for that. You're going to suffer as long as you're in the second level of consciousness. Be killed, made passive, raised up on the third day, the third day being completion, the triad. There's no way to get to the third level of consciousness without a triad, three again, because a triad is necessary. Every manifestation of any kind involves a triad. So it stands to reason then that the third level of consciousness involves a triad. There's some holy trinity that can get us to the third level of consciousness. This is all that esotericism is talking about. Gurdjieff demystified this in one sense, but he mystified it in another sense, or or maybe his followers did, I don't know which. He took a lot of the bite from the priests. The priests used this, as they always do in, in religion. They always use it to control people, which becomes the anathema of religion. The very thing that that was given to set people free becomes the very thing that they use to shackle the people so that the people then can be yoked to serve the priests. I know this sounds like I'm bagging on the priest, but I'm really not. If they could be different, they would. If it could happen any other way, it would happen some other way. So it's certainly not a judgment or a condemnation in any way. It's simply an observation. It's a fact. It's, it's the way it is. This is what these things do. It's just like sharks in the ocean. What do sharks in the ocean do? Well, they constantly swim. Well, why is that? Well, because they have to be moving through the water in order to keep the water passing over their gills so that they can get oxygen out of the water. So sharks are always moving. They never stop. Some fish can stop and they can just move their gills, but sharks can't do that. They have to have the water passing through them. They have to, it has to be jet propelled, as, as it were. It has to be forced through. Which is an interesting thing, and they're, they're great predators of the ocean, but also as, as at the same time they're scavengers. This is the really bizarre thing about predators, and many times they're scavengers as well. So they serve a purpose. We villainize them, you know, and you can tell by the way we villainize snakes, we villainize sharks. There are certain things that we villainize, and we attack and murder and slaughter with impunity, thinking that we're doing a righteous thing, that we're killing the bad, you know, and making more room for the good. But what we don't understand is that we're just making more bad by being the predator and the scavenger. Instead of, you know, getting out of the whole system, we're just, we're perpetuating the system. But we don't see that because we're in the second level of consciousness, which is, yes, you guessed it, waking sleep. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. So this is the thing. It's like, well, look, if you want the third level of consciousness, you have to deny yourself. To go, okay, that's fine. But you see, what, we, what you've instantly forgotten is the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now that we can follow him, we forget all that. We forget following through what? We'll follow him through suffering and death, being killed, and then being raised up on the third day. That, follow him through that. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. I thought, no, he did all that for me, right? I don't have to do that. No. No, he just opened the door so that you can do it for yourself now. That's all. He just blazed a trail so that now you can follow it. Well, but it's an easy trail, right? There's like an escalator or, or 
public transportation or something, we just get on the bus, right? And then we end up, you know, in like heaven. They open the doors. Here you are. All the people who were good and had faith, you get to come in now. Now you go on foot. You walk. And it's a treacherous path. And there are a lot of pitfalls. And you have to learn how to make your suffering self passive. (laughs) But you don't want to make your suffering self passive. You are your suffering self. That's why asking people to give up their suffering is so absurd. People are not going to sacrifice their suffering. It's who they are. It is their red badge of courage. It's their definition of themselves. I'm not going to give that up. I prove my strength through what I've suffered. I prove my worth through what I'm able to suffer. I prove my love through what I'm willing to suffer. See, all of these things, all of these lies are all part and parcel of the prison that we're in that we don't wish to leave because that's our prison currency. And we have stacked up a lot of prison currency. You know, we got this big hoard, this big stash. We could last here for lifetimes, especially with all the interest we're getting. Self-remembering, self-consciousness or self-awareness, all the same thing. It means making yourself more aware or more conscious to yourself, not of yourself, to yourself. You become more conscious of yourself, but more importantly, to yourself. It's not a matter of becoming aware that you are negative. That's becoming aware of yourself. Becoming aware to yourself is becoming aware that it is negative and you are not it. It's a, a minor definition, but it's everything. It makes the difference between the second and the third level of consciousness. It is the membrane between the second and third level of consciousness. Unless that membrane is pierced, you remain in the... Let's, let's imagine yourself with a membrane over you. Let's say there's just this very thin membrane on the top of water. And you come up out of the water, but this membrane covers you. And you're in the third level of consciousness covered by this membrane. Are you in the third level of consciousness? No. You remain in the second level of consciousness. So this membrane has to be pierced in order to make it into the third level of consciousness. And though it's very thin, it still is enough to separate you from the third level of consciousness. And the thing is, is you can see people walking around in the third level of consciousness, covered in this membrane, imagining that they're in the third level of consciousness, when the truth is, their ego is running them around, dictating everything that they do, and they are complete pawns of life, pretending to be in the third level of consciousness. And the pretense is not so much that they're pretending to the people in the third level of consciousness, because people in the third level of consciousness see it and see what it is. It's a pretense that only works for them. It's like the emperor's new clothes. (laughs) Look, the emperor's naked, you know, it's like... Takes a child to see that. So this remembering, self-remembering, self-consciousness, self-awareness making yourself more aware, more conscious to yourself. This is taking up your cross. And quite frankly, it's a burden that few wish to shoulder. Like, why should I? I have all my prison script here. I have all my stash. I have my hoard. I have my friends. I have my routine. Why should I? I'm going to suffer either way. Then you're not fit for the kingdom. Anybody who puts his hand to the plowshare and looks back, you're not fit. You're not fit for the third level of consciousness. If you keep looking back to the second and deciding, do do I really want to be in the second or the third? You've already decided. You're staying in the second. We'd much rather deny ourselves in the standard fashion. You know the the standard fashion of denying ourselves? You remember, remember what the man said here? He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. And we deny ourselves all the time, don't we? Why aren't we in the third state of consciousness? We deny ourselves all the time. We're denying ourselves right now. That's how we stay in the second state of consciousness, second level of consciousness, by denying ourselves in the ordinary fashion, not in the esoteric way. Deny yourself in the esoteric way is different than denying ourselves as we do. Let me give you an example. Spensky said to Nicole one time, 
You always make difficulties. Nicole considered this absolutely absurd because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he never made difficulties. Do you understand what this denial is? Ospensky tells him, you always make difficulties. This is absurd. I never make difficulties. That's denying yourself. Denying the self that keeps you in the second level of consciousness. Denying the prisoner is guilty. Everybody in prison is innocent. The only ones who are guilty are the ones who know that by saying they're guilty, they get something. But secretly, they know they're innocent. They know they were justified in what they did. Nicole also knew that it was Ospensky who always made difficulties, and not Nicole. Nicole had been trying to tell Ospensky this for years, that he always made things difficult. Unless we become conscious of something in ourselves, wait for it, we can't see it. I know, this is so simple, isn't it? Unless we become conscious of something in ourselves, we can't see it. We can't understand how it might apply to us, and therefore, we can't change it. If you don't know you have food on your chin, the chances of getting it off your chin are slim. It may happen accidentally. You may accidentally brush it off. It may dry and fall off. But if you don't know it's there, if you can't feel it, if you can't see it, then it's going to stay there. Consciousness and change are inseparable. If you truly become conscious of something, you will change. There's no way around it. This is part of the thing that keeps us in prison. We know that if we become conscious of something, we'll change. If we change, we upset the prison system. And if we upset the prison system, we may lose something. And we're not willing to lose anything in the prison system. We're willing to be completely out of the system, but we don't know what that means. So that willingness is with a reservation. We have a willingness with a reservation. Well, if it's, so it's more like an if. Well, if it's going to be better, yes. If it's going to be better, I'll take the third level of consciousness. But if it's not, I'm staying here. You see, and that's the truth about us. And, and you have to be able to see that about yourself. You have to be able to see what's holding you here. Because you're not, you're not going to change that. You're not going to change that about yourself. But seeing it requires change. But it doesn't require you to change it. All that you have to do is see it, acknowledge it, accept it. Seeing it isn't enough. Acknowledging it and accepting it is also necessary. Again, there's your triad. Seeing, acknowledging, accepting. Yes, I see it, but it's not true. Okay, so you've only got one part of the triad. Yes, I see it. Okay, I acknowledge it. That's true. But I don't accept it. It's not my fault. It doesn't have to change. So there you've got two parts of the triad, but you have no manifestation. You have no change. You've got to have seeing, acknowledging, and accepting. Unless you have those three, there is no manifestation of change. So in a sense, you could call that the holy trinity, the holy triad of change of consciousness. You become conscious, you see it. You acknowledge it, okay, it's there. You accept it, okay, it's there, and yes, it's mine. It's, I did this. We can't increase our consciousness and stay the same. This is right now for us, for the majority of us, as I observe your lives, what I observe is you're stuck in this place. How do I increase my consciousness and keep what I want? You have your desires, you have your plans, you have your goals, you have your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, whatever it is you have. I don't know what it is you have. I don't want to get into the details because this is not about that. What it's about is this mistaken belief that you can change and stay the same. This is now what you are fighting with. This is now what you're struggling with. This is the wrestling match with you. You've got this opponent by the ears, you know, and you're trying to get it down so that you can get on top of it, so that you can beat this, so that you can change your consciousness and remain the same. So you can keep what you want, yet be different and change. And it takes what it takes, you know, maybe you'll wear yourself out in the wrestling match, I don't know how it'll work, but this is what I see. The great thing about seeing this now is that I don't have to do anything about it. 
I just look at it and go, well, that's the way that is. I wonder how it's going to turn out. And, you know, that's a great position because that's God's viewpoint. God looks at things and he says, well, that's the way it is. I wonder how it's going to turn out. I wonder what they'll do. And so I look at you and I, I wonder what you'll do. And sometimes I'm pleased and I think, wow, I didn't expect that. And sometimes I'm unpleased and I go, wow, I didn't expect that. But I never say, wow, I expected that. I mean, I say it internally, but I never say it consciously because that would mean that I wasn't God and I could never admit that. Could you? Because we're not aware of our own psychology, nor are others. I mean, others aren't aware of our our psychology or their own psychology. We collide with each other on a daily basis. You ever notice that life is a series of accidental relationships? They're not even relationships, accidental entanglements. Like we collide with one another. Sometimes it happens on the freeways and the wrecker is called. (laughs) They haul off pieces of junk and broken bodies and dead bodies and that's that. This whole entanglement continues in the court system with lawyers and insurance and right and wrong and that whole insanity could go on for years. And this happens again and again and again and again and again. It's insane, but there it is. But it's because we're not aware of our own psychology. Man asleep is man unconscious, unconscious of what produces unpleasant manifestations all about us. When we're asleep, we don't know how the accidents happen. They just happen. And so we try and make laws for no-fault insurance. Well, it's nobody's fault. It just happened. (laughs) Connie was telling me the other day that they have this new distracted driver thing. Rex got a ticket for distracted driver one time, and he something on his seat fell onto the floor, and he reached over to get it. And when he did, of course, he reached down, and he wasn't looking where he was going, and he ran in, and he broadside T-boned a Mercedes-Benz. Remember that one? Well, I know you don't want to remember it, but I'm sorry. Sorry for bringing it up. But it serves my purpose, which means it serves your purpose, which means it serves everyone's purpose. And so this is part of the sacrifice. Are you willing to be sacrificed? Are you willing to sacrifice your pride? Are you willing to sacrifice your false dignity? Are you willing to sacrifice your false self in order to be benefited and to benefit others? Are you willing to sacrifice your body as food for the gods? You know, because the gods sacrifice their bodies as food for us. You know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. You know, and it's like, what? The Jews went crackers over that one. What? You know, he's, he's a cannibal. For years, Christianity was called cannibalism because of that. And they took the esoteric literally because that's what animals do. They take everything literally. They take everything as food. Uh, it's food. It's drink. You know, All they care about is what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, with what they're going to be clothed. What are they going to be able to have sex with? You know, It's like, what, 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 what? Second level of consciousness, that's what we're interested in. We're interested in what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. You know, what will I be, with what will I be clothed? How am I going to take care of me? What's going to happen to me? It's all about that. Low, 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 low in the, in the whole scheme of things, but it's, it's where we are. So because we're asleep... We don't see what is producing all of these unpleasant manifestations all around us. Unfortunately, knowledge is responsibility. If we're unwilling to accept responsibility, the knowledge must leave us, and then we'll never understand, and then, of course, we'll never raise our level, and then, of course, we'll never change. We'll stay the same, which is why humanity stays the same no matter how much technology advances. Down in the Amazon, we find these people who, you know, who somehow avoid civilization, and they're primitive. And we think, God, they're so primitive. We're so much better. And then we go in and we try and educate them. And then when that doesn't work, we kill them. And we call them primitive (laughs) because they kill each other. But we don't see that what we're doing is the exact same thing. In other words, 
because we're not aware of our own psychology, because we're asleep, unconscious of what produces unpleasant manifestations all about us, we continue to produce the unpleasant manifestations all about us and then blame the primitives. Well, it was the primitives, those stupid, ignorant, stupid primitives who made us the technologically advanced, the enlightened, to kill them. Duh! They made us do it. So who's more powerful? Well, we are because we killed them. Yeah. It's just all a big game that we play where it doesn't matter what happens. We are going to remain unconscious. We're going to remain the same and we're going to continually justify what we do. Might makes right when we have the might, but when they have it, it's wrong. But knowledge is responsibility. Our unwillingness to accept responsibility keeps us in place. We can't be said to exist individually until we become more responsible to ourselves and to each other. Well, okay, I'm willing to become responsible to myself, but can we negotiate about this each other business? I'm really not responsible to you. I'm independent. I'm a free spirit. I'm my own man. Why do I have to be responsible to you? And what about people who are beneath me, less than me? I'm not responsible to them. You see how we want to negotiate? But the work says, quite simply, we cannot be said to exist individually until we become more responsible to ourselves and each other. Oh, yes, but that means only people in the work. That means just each other in our group. No, we keep qualifying it because we don't want to leave the second level of consciousness. We're not willing to give up our prison script. We're not willing to take the chance of having a lesser place in a third state of consciousness than our exalted position in the second level of consciousness. That's why the poor in the second level of consciousness, they're the ones who are willing to risk it for the third level of consciousness. The rich aren't willing to risk it. The rich go away sad. I'm not giving that up. I'm top dog here in this second level of consciousness. I'm not giving that up to become what? Some unknown, some footstool in the third level of consciousness? Forget that. Here's the thing. You can be what you're not aware of. The truth is, is you are what you're not aware of. But for us, the only thing that we can really admit is that we can be what we're not aware of. This is the little lever, you know, you stick in there. This is the screwdriver. You stick in there and try and pry the clam open or pry the oyster open to see if you can see if there's a pearl in there. You know, it's like this is the edge you stick in there. You can be what you are not aware of. The side of us acts constantly outside of the light, outside of our awareness. The side of us that we can be that we're not aware of, it is constantly acting. It is the author of the unpleasant manifestations that we experience in life. No, it's not. They are. It's what they're doing. It was that idiot, that idiot who ran into me, who T-boned me. He's the one who got the ticket. It's his fault. He was to blame. I had nothing to do with it. I just happened to be in the intersection when that moron bent over to pick up off the floor whatever it was that distracted him and made him run into my car. Do you see this? But you were there, and there are no accidents of consciousness. An accident for us is when the unconscious part of us manifests something. What makes it an accident? Our ignorance. Our ignorance of what we had to do with it. Our ignorance of what the unconscious part of me was manifesting there. What happens when we can't see that we make difficulties? Other people are making them. You have difficulties in your life. Do you have difficulties in your life? Good. Everybody here? Anybody doesn't just hold up your hand. Higher. I want a good big target. <laughs> no hands. <laughs> I may not have my hand up on the outside, but on the inside, I'm waving both of them. When we can't see that we make difficulties, we see that others make difficulties, that they're at fault, that we're not at fault. This is our psychology. Our psychology is our dark side. It is our closet. It is where we keep all of the things that we don't want anyone to see and that we don't wish to see. 
It's where we stuff everything. It's our storage shed, and it doesn't have a light in it. We just open the door, throw things in there, kick things in there, slam the door shut, and then forget about them. A jealous person cannot see his own thoughts of infidelity and therefore must project them and accuse the other person. This is absolutely basic. But do you know there are people sitting in this room who don't believe that that's true? They are the exception that proves the rule. No, they don't have thoughts of infidelity. They just know other people. They just know what men are like, or they just know what women are like, or they just know what that person is like. They just have this super awareness of what other people are like and no awareness whatsoever of what they're like. And this is indicative of the second level of consciousness. We have a super awareness of what everyone else is like and no awareness whatsoever of what we're like. Yet, we imagine that we are self-conscious, that we are fully awake, that we're fully conscious, that we know every thought, every motivation, every feeling, everything about ourselves. This is a characteristic of the second level of consciousness. <laughs> you know, you may as well have tattooed on your head, second level of consciousness, right there on your forehead. But the thing is that only other people can see it. You can't see it. It's tattooed on your forehead. And when you look at it, it reads backwards. You look at it in the mirror and it says third level of consciousness. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. But that's the truth about us. Yeah, I'm glad you can laugh at it. It's extremely difficult to become aware of what we project due to the machinery of buffers, attitudes, negative emotions, pictures, considerings, vanities, associations, dum dum dum, and false personality. See, the thing is, is that projecting compounds the problem. When you project, it satisfies you. It satisfies you that you have found the answer, and so you stop looking. When you stop looking, what that means is you stop letting light into yourself. When you stop letting light into yourself, light is a funny thing. Have you ever noticed that if you turn a light off, it doesn't stay on? For those of you who want to be real idiots, which of course I'm sure somebody in here has got to qualify, wants to be a real idiot, who wants to be an artificial idiot when you could be a real idiot? You can say, well, you know, when you turn a bright light off, it stays kind of glowing for a little while. Yes, that's right. But the bottom line is it stops giving light. Light stops appearing out there. You can't see what you could see when it was on. The bottom line is, is that when you turn off the light, when you shut the door, the light no longer comes in. When the light, light no longer comes in, you're in darkness again. When you're in darkness again, you're in the second level of consciousness. Now, you can let light in in the second level of consciousness. Not a lot, but you can let it in. The problem is, in the second level of consciousness, is that we then use the light for all the wrong reasons, unless we have some kind of structured guidance. And that's what the system, that's what esoteric systems are about. Now let me just tell you that I do not believe in systems. I do not believe in the fourth way. I do not believe in Christianity. I do not believe in Buddhism. I do not believe in meditation. I do not believe in all of these disciplines. The reason I don't believe in them is because belief makes things stagnant. It makes things static. And in a flowing universe, in a constantly moving, flowing, vibrating universe, there can't be anything stagnant. So Belief, then, becomes a way of making things stay the same. And what happens with belief is, because the universe is not going to stay the same, it's not going to stop because you believe it will. What it's going to do is then flow around you. And when it flows around you, it will evolve beyond you, and you will be stuck. And this is why you will notice that people with beliefs can be extremely primitive, extremely violent. And this is why the work says, don't believe anything, verify it. And after you've verified it, let it go. I don't know if the work says that or not, but I said it. Let it go. Because if you don't, it will become a belief. If you don't let it go, it will become a memory, and it will become a belief, and it will become a system. And once you have a system, systems lead to beliefs. 
I believe in this system. Once you start believing in a system, you're screwed, you're lost, because it then becomes static. Now, you look around at all the systems that we know about, the fourth way, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, all the systems that we know about, they all have become stagnant. And you, too, will become stagnant to the degree that you believe in whatever system you subscribe to. You've got to constantly stay with the now, stay in the moment. You've got to constantly challenge your beliefs. You've got to constantly let more light in. You've got to keep letting the light in. You can't just let the light in once, close the door, and then stay there with what you found because the darkness will overcome you again. You must continually let the light in. But once we project, it becomes really difficult to ever become aware of our part in it because we have placed our part in it out there. Then the machinery of buffers, attitudes, negative emotions, and so on continually keep us stuck in that spot. This keeps us asleep in the grip of mechanical life. Few people have the courage to take up their cross to awaken at all costs. See, this is the problem. Awaken at all costs. Well, give me all your prison script. Well, what will you give me? Here in prison we barter. What will you give me? Well, I will give you nothing. Well, forget that. You just want all my prison script for yourself. No, I'm just going to burn it all. It's nothing to me. (laughs) That's what they all say. You're lying. You see, we project ourselves onto the other person because we wouldn't burn it. And we proved that by the fact that we're, we're not willing to give it. We're not willing to give it. We proved our attachment to it. We proved our identification with it. We proved that we are it. We proved that it's not prison script. It is myself. It is my life. It is my identity. It is everything that I am. Just look at what you protect. Look at what you protect in your life. Whatever it is you protect in your life, that's where your life is. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Whatever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Whatever it is you're protecting, that's what you love. That's your treasure. That is what you want. And that is what you'll have. And that's prison. We project onto others what we should see in ourselves by retaining the illusion that we are fully conscious. We keep imagining that we're fully conscious. We keep projecting onto others what we should see in ourselves. And it's a vicious circle. As long as we imagine we're fully conscious, we then know that it must be there because it can't be here because I'm not conscious of it. But the very fact that you're not conscious of it is the proof that you're not fully conscious. But you say, no, it's proof that it's not there. Yet you still have unpleasant manifestations in your life. Yes, but that's their fault. And there's the projection. You see what a catch-22 it is? It's just ironclad. You really need something from outside. You need a knife from outside to stick in that little slot and twist and open that oyster shell. But who's willing to give up their pearl? Who's willing to give up their life? Who's Because wi- you know when that knife goes in and it opens that shell, they open that up, that kills the oyster or the clam. It kills it. It dies. You're going to die. You're going to be made passive. This is what's going to happen. No! We need an increase in consciousness before we can change. A conscious man knows himself while a mechanical man imagines he does. Which do you think you are? Well, of course, you think you're a conscious man. It's a no-brainer. We need an increase in consciousness. The object of self-observation is to become more conscious of ourselves to ourselves. This leads us to the greater destiny of change of being. When I say greater destiny of change of being, I mean you have a fate and you have a destiny. Your fate is to be food for the moon. Your destiny is to escape that fate, which you will do remains to be seen. I can imagine God just kind of sitting there, well, I wonder what he'll do. If a person isn't conscious of how he speaks and acts, can he change it? If you're not conscious that your jealousy is because of your own unacknowledged and unaccepted thoughts of infidelity, can you change it? No. You have to continually point to the other person of whom you are jealous and say it's because they have these thoughts of infidelity that you are jealous. 
if you could actually see that, the absurdity of that would make your jaw hit the floor. If you have a moment of consciousness where you see that imagining that what's going on in you is going on over there and that that's what's making you feel the way you feel, if you could see that for what it actually is, it'd be like, oh my God, that's insane. I mean, literally, the clash is so great, the smack is so great, the collision is so great that it, without a buffer, it's like, it makes you gaga. It's just too bizarre. What if you point it out to them? What if you say to the person, see, if the person isn't conscious of how they speak or act, but you point it out to the person, what will happen? <laughs> you should have seen the smile on Steve's face. It was precious. It was just this little kind of sideways grin. What will happen, Steve? Uh, you'll be immediately attacked. You'll be attacked. Most likely you'll be accused because the person has no idea it's true. Because it's unconscious. You may not be attacked, but you will definitely be accused. That's just you. What you'll hear is, well, that's, that's, that's you. You can't see that that's what you do. That's what you'll hear. Unfortunately, I'm in the position of being able to say to people from time to time, well, it's this blah, 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 and I point out something that they, they're not aware of, and sure enough, they become instantaneously aware that it's all in me. Well, that's just you projecting. And this is the danger of having knowledge without practical application. You can have knowledge without practical application, and it makes you a monster. It fortifies your position of ignorance. It fortifies the second level of consciousness. The only remedy is the cross. The person must take up his own cross of self-observation until he realizes it personally. Oh, it's so difficult to let them do that, isn't it? See, it doesn't matter how many times I point it out to you. Until you realize it personally, it's pointless. In fact, maybe me pointing it out to you may be the very thing that keeps you from realizing it personally. Not always, unfortunately. If it was always one way or another way, we'd know how to behave mechanically and we wouldn't need to be conscious, would we? All we'd need is the right rules. All we'd need is just the right, you know, all we'd have is a religion. We'd just make a rule book and a belief system and a dogma and a code of ethics and a code of behavior and there it'd be. We'd just follow that and everything would always be perfect. But it's not that way because... It changes because we live in a flowing universe. We don't live in a universe that is stagnant, that's always one way. It's not always one way. And so this time it could be that pointing it out to you is the very thing that helps you to to become conscious of it yourself personally. Or it could be the very thing that pushes you away from actually becoming conscious of it personally. So how do you know? We don't. Well, then it's best just to shut up. Well, not really. We don't know what's best. What's best is whatever works, but we don't know what works. But... That's how the dice are rolled in this game. You don't know what works. So you try to be present. You try to be as aware of your own motivations as you possibly can be aware. You let as much light as you can let into yourself. And then you roll the dice and you see what you get. The thing what we do then is once whatever we get, then we make a rule. Well, I'm not doing that again. No, you've got to be willing to roll the dice every single turn. Even if you don't own Boardwalk and Park Place and you got like no money and you roll the dice, and you could land on Boardwalk and Park Place, and they got hotels, and you're going to be out of the game. You still have to roll the dice. Only then can something be added to consciousness. Only when, through the cross of self-observation, the person personally realizes something. Only then will consciousness actually increase. Everything else is artificial, mechanical, imaginary, not real. By seeing and accepting... The person then is no longer the same. By seeing and accepting and changing, the person is no longer the same. By seeing and accepting and no longer acting that way, the person is no longer the same. Notice I didn't say any of those things. All I said is that by seeing and accepting, the person is no longer the same. This is the way of the cross. A man who becomes more conscious cannot stay the same, period. 
This is the way it works. You do not do it. Go back to lesson one. You can't do. You're not conscious. You're not one. You're a multiplicity. You're asleep. And you can't do. And if you think you can, you're in imagination. But how am I going to be God? That's really your question. That's the ultimate question then. But, 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 but if that's true, how am I going to be God? You don't know how to be God. God doesn't know how to be God. He doesn't have to. Any more than a rock has to know how to be a rock. Or the sky has to know how to be the sky. The nature of something is its being. Its being is its nature. Unconscious is better than partially conscious. In the same way as a female bear is better than a female bear with cubs. Well, it depends on your point of view. Well, if your point of view is in the vicinity of the female bear with cubs, your point of view is going to be, I wish she didn't have cubs because she's going to be threatened, she's going to protect her cubs, and she's going to protect her cubs from you, whether you're after them or not. That's what partially conscious is like. Those partially conscious who will not acknowledge are under the power of a buffer. Remember, with cubs. So partially conscious is like a female bear with cubs. Partially conscious can also be like a female bear without cubs much less dangerous. No danger at all if you know how to behave. So it's a matter of being able to accept. If you're partially conscious of something in yourself and you're not able to accept it, you grow a buffer. If you're able to accept it, no buffer. Growing a buffer makes it more dangerous. Why? Because it makes it much more difficult to really become conscious. Buffers make consciousness very difficult. They make life more comfortable. They make life in here more comfortable but they make the ability to increase your consciousness almost impossible. So that's why I say those who are partially conscious, it's not a good thing. It's better to be unconscious than partially conscious. If you're unconscious, you could become conscious. If you're partially conscious and not accepting that of which you are partially conscious, you're really stuck. You see how you've driven the nail into the board? Being under the power of a buffer is not a good thing. Try to say something about it, and you'll get a violent reaction with much self-justifying. So you point out to a person something that they don't know about themselves. More often than not, you will be accused of judging or pointing the finger, of not being aware of something in yourself. You'll be accused. It's the first line of defense. But when the person has a buffer, you will be attacked. So you go to Steve's point of, well, what will happen? You'll be attacked. Yes, if the person has a buffer, you will be attacked. If you've got a flaw, you've got the opposite of it. If you've got the opposite, you've got the flaw. So becoming conscious of just one thing and not the other is partially conscious. And when there's a buffer in between, you can have one without the other. Here's another thing. You'll find that when you try to say something to those people, you'll get a violent reaction with a lot of self-justifying. What's very important about this is this is something that is important to notice in yourself. It shows where the buffer is. The buffer keeps our contradictions from colliding. Someone says something to you and you find yourself with a violent reaction and a lot of self-justifying. Oh, I smell a buffer. That's what you need to be saying. Of course, your violent reaction and your self-justifying, if it's allowed to just run wild, you're not going to smell the buffer. But if you have set an alarm clock so that when you have a violent reaction, when you start self-justifying, that you start to sniff for a buffer, then it can be beneficial to you. person always makes difficulties. We all know them. We all know people who always make difficulties. It doesn't matter what group it is. If you're in the library, there's a person who's always making difficulties. There's a person who's always talking or doing something. If you're standing in line, there's always a person who always makes difficulties, tries to cut in line. If you're doing, or, or doesn't move when the line goes forward. Or if you're in traffic, there's always a person who makes difficulties. So the person who always makes difficulties, does this in any way, any possible way, apply to you? If so, how? See, we all know it applies to us. We all can say, yes, of course it applies to me. Of course I make difficulties. Really, how? Oh, uh, uh, you know, the ordinary way. Yes, well, how? How do you always make difficulties? Oh, well, I always like to have my own way. 
But how? Oh, shut up. Leave me alone. Why are you making this so difficult? <laughs> Why are you making difficulties for me? Our relationships are complicated by that of which we are not conscious. Another person may see this about you, this certain thing, but you don't. And so the relationship is difficult, not because the other person sees it, but because you don't. Have you noticed how we love to attack the other person for seeing it? We love to call them liars. We love to ascribe all kinds of horrible motivations to them, anything to justify ourselves and to escape from seeing that this is in us. That's someone who's saving his life. That's someone who's unwilling to take up his cross. That's someone who's not going to make it to the third level of consciousness because he's unwilling to die to himself. He's unwilling to be killed make the false personality passive. Our relationships are complicated by what we're not aware of, but what, what we're not conscious of in ourselves. But I was sure that it was because I didn't know that about you. Well, when I married that person, I didn't know he was like that. I only found out later. Well, yeah, I kind of had a thought that it might be there, but I thought they'd change. All these are lies that keep us from becoming aware of what we are manifesting, of what we are doing, of what we don't want to be conscious of in ourselves. How are we difficult? Wishing to be first. If you wish to be first, I promise you, you're difficult. To whom? Everyone. Leaves no one out because there can only be one first and everybody else has got to be something else and that makes you difficult. Always wanting to have the power causes us to object to everyone and everything that doesn't grant our wish. What's our wish? To be first. This points to our inability to tolerate the idea that anything is higher than us. This is a common effect of self-adoration. We cannot acknowledge anything higher than us. We say in this work, we can't see very far above our level. Do you know why? It's because we're not willing to acknowledge that anything could be above us. This is from our pride, our vanity, our self-adoration. Here is the thing. Acknowledgement is the only thing that gives inner peace, real inner peace. The only thing that will give it is acknowledgement. You remember that holy triad, the holy trinity that gets us into the third level of consciousness? Seeing, acknowledging, accepting. When you acknowledge it and you accept it as true for you, you have completed the triad and you will have inner peace. It will all still be there, but you will have inner peace about it because you will know that the light must do its work and that if you are conscious of it, change is inevitable. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.